So how many of you have ever heard the phrase, stick to it like glue? You ever heard that? Oh man, he sticks to it like glue. Well, here's the thing. Uh, there's a couple of thought processes there. One is, is that applies to the adhesive power of something that's not glue, but it acts like glue. So you, you stick that on Velcro, and that Velcro sticks like glue, or, or man, you, you stick to something on the windshield. Uh, you know, y'all know the bugs here in the summertime. It sticks like glue. You, know, you put your washers on and your wipers, and nothing comes off. That stuff sticks like glue. But we want to look at the other usage of that phrase today. See, that phrase is also used of a situation wherein an individual individual has this character or this attribute, and what they're displaying through that character or that attribute is this, uh, this potential. Look at Mike. He saved me. Thank you, Mike. All right, so we can continue. Thank you, Mike. Uh, so again, we're, we're talking about a character attribute. A person who sticks like glue is a person who's resolute, they're firm in their convictions, they're dedicated, they're devoted. You just cannot make them quit. I, I've used that phrase a lot. When I was an academy instructor and a SWAT team member, there were those people who would just stick like glue. You could abuse them, you could try to run them off, and they just refused to remove away from this thing that they were pursuing. Well, here's why I share this thought with you, because I want you to focus on the character of Paul and Barnabas this morning. We know in Acts, as we've been studying in Acts 12 and 13, that these two guys, man, the church has come around them in Jerusalem. They've laid their hands on them. They said, hey, go get them, boys. And this is exactly what they did, that they've gone to get them, and we've talked about their journeys and their travel on this first missionary journey. And as they're going through all this area that that actually Barnabas would have been familiar with because he was from Cyprus, and so he would have known these places. But they were going to the places where the Jews had scattered, and they would target these synagogues. They had the Old Testament in common. These people knew about Messiah, and so all Paul and Barnabas wanted to do was to share this idea that Jesus is that Messiah. But the thing we're going to look at today is this. Every place they went, they faced rejection. I want you to think about that. If, if you face rejection every place you went, so every day when you went to work, there was some type of rejection. There was some type of opposition. Think about how frustrated you would become if every day that you went to work, this is what you faced. Well, these guys, every day they went to work in service of the Lord. Every day they went to the synagogue to share about Jesus. This opposition kept arising, and it wasn't just this type of opposition, just this word-of-mouth stuff. We're talking about the opposition where they're going to stone these guys to death. So, like, this is life-and-death opposition. And yet, here's the thing. Every town they got kicked out of, they simply moved on to the next one. And guess what they did? They showed up at the synagogue, they get run out of town. They leave that town, they go to the next town. They go to the synagogue, they get kicked out of that town. And they just continued and continued. They stuck with it like glue. And so here's what I want you to focus on this morning. This idea that even in the face of opposition, our faithfulness must persevere. Or you can word it this way. Our faithfulness must persevere, continue to persevere, even in the face of opposition. Now, here's what we're going to talk about before we end today. Paul and Barnabas faced opposition to their very faith. And you might face some of that opposition, but it may just be opposition you're facing in your personal life. Like there's a physical issue that's going on. There's an emotional issue that you're battling. Some people really struggle. In fact, my wife was telling me just this morning that there's this thing called onset of fall depression. I, I, I'm not familiar with that. I've always enjoyed the fall, and, and so there may, there may be an emotional struggle for you this time of the year. I, I get that emotional struggle when it starts snowing, it gets cold, and I can't play golf. So I get that same thing. I get it. But, but it may be beyond that. It may be some type of relationship that's broken. It may be struggles within your family. It may be financial stress or burden. So, so here's the deal. We're going to be talking about Paul and Barnabas and the opposition, opposition they faced in the teaching of the gospel, but your opposition may be different than that today. 
Regardless, here's the principle we're going to study, that our faithfulness to the Lord, in spite of that opposition, whatever type it is, our faithfulness to Him must continue. It must persevere. He, he is there, and Hebrews 12 tells us there's a whole cloud of witnesses with Him. That's angelic beings, and all the saints of old, believe it or not, you've got like a cheering section. And they're pulling for you, and our job is to be successful in keeping our faithfulness during all these challenges. So let's pray together, and we're going to be studying, again, in chapter 13 over into 14, and I'll have you read with me in just a minute. Father, we love you. Thank you again for the great blessing of bringing us together for corporate worship. I do thank you for safety. Father, even Aaron this morning, uh, Father, having some difficulties on the roadways, and yet still getting her here safely to us so she could lead in worship by playing the piano. Father, thank you that all of us are here. Father, amidst all the opposition we, we may face, whether that's slick roads or the fog, Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of your people to come and worship. I look so forward to these moments each and every week. So I, I just, Father, I praise you for your grace that you've allowed me just to be here and stand before them. So Father, I pray now that you would help our minds to really settle in and focus on this concept that we're talking about. Father, there's three key words there. It's the idea of faithfulness. I want us to be able to grasp what that means. I want us to understand perseverance and the depth of that term and Father, I also want us to be aware that there is opposition. Lord, Lord, in the American culture, we desire ease. We desire convenience. And yet what we know in the Christian journey is this. It is far from that. It is far from convenient all the time. In fact, Father, sometimes it's just very mean and tough and nasty. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would take this principle and so impress it upon our minds that, Father, we would again learn from you and see from you and seek you out so that, Lord, we would stick to it like glue. That, Father, faithfulness in us, our name being mentioned, would go hand in hand. When people would think of us, what they would think of is a person who has persevered in their journey with Christ. Give us wisdom to grasp this principle. Give us wisdom to know how to apply and all the challenges of and surrounding this principle. And, Father, at the end of this day, help us to be more like these two men that we see, but, Father, more so like Jesus, who is the epitome of sticking with it in the face of opposition. So, Father, help us to be more like Christ when we leave this place today. We voice that and pray that in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I'm going to start reading in verse 42 this morning out of chapter 13, and we'll continue down into the first seven verses of 14. So if you want to follow along with me, again, I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. So listen carefully to the word of the Lord. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. Urged is the word perikaleo in Greek. It means to invite earnestly, but it also means with passion and excitement. So, so remember where we were. Uh, these guys have gone and they've made it all the way up to Antioch, Pisidian. So, so they're traveling up, and I think I put our map back. So here's where we are. We're up at Pisidian, Antioch. This is one of the little synagogues the Jews have placed there. And, and so... They've preached on that Sunday morning. Now remember, they're talking about Old Testament prophecy and they mentioned the fact that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. And yet, in spite of that, as they leave, notice this, people were begging them to come back because there were ears that God was enabling to hear the truth. And so as they're hearing truth for the very first time, they're like, now wait a minute, we want you guys to come back and tell us the rest of the story. They obviously know there's got to be more of this story than you've given us. So, so we want you to come back and elaborate and they're very sincere. Get this. Here's the part I want you to grasp. In this moment, they are very sincere about wanting to hear. This is not a setup. 
We're not trying to get you back to trap you or to harm you. We really want to hear more about this Jesus guy. So, so there's an urgency. There's a desire to hear. We're going to see how that changes in just a minute and the circumstance around it. But understand, the original invitation is sincere. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking with them, urging them to continue in the grace of God. Uh, this word devout, I've often wondered what that meant. What does it mean to be a devout follower of Jesus? Well, the word used in Greek is sevo, and all sevo means is this, to show reverence for. So for you to understand being devout, you must understand what reverence is. And in case you don't know, reverence is twofold. It means fear, but also respect. Fear, but also respect. In fact, the command that God has given all throughout Scripture is this, fear me. Fear God alone. And so fear, understand, is not like a cowering down in the corner, I'm hiding from the boogeyman fear. It's, it's more related to the idea of respect, that God is God and we are not. And, and so we keep this reverence, meaning we keep the priority system proper, meaning we're not pursuing just everything we want, we're pursuing what God wants for us. This is this idea of reverence or fear or keeping things in our priority system correct. And so these were devout followers of God. Like literally, they are devoted to Yahweh. They are seeking after Him. They're not wanting just to check off the law boxes and we make this sacrifice, we said this prayer. They're really devout. They're sincere about following God. And so Paul and Barnabas have a great audience. And this audience is inviting them back. But notice, every time God shows up and does something, who will always show up with Him? The enemy's always going to show up as well. So, so notice this. So the gospel... Is about to spread, it sounds like, but notice what else happens. Verse 44. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of God. Now here's the deal. They're not in a Jewish place. There are some Jews there because there's a synagogue, but remember, Pisidian Antioch, this is a Gentile location. But notice what happened. When the excitement of something really big that God was doing started to spread, everybody came. Notice this. They came to a place where they don't normally gather. They came to the synagogue. Most of these people aren't Yahweh fearers. They're not Yahweh worshipers. Yet they come to the place where you worship Yahweh because they heard that God is up to something. So God is drawing people because Paul and Barnabas are being faithful. They're persevering. They've traveled all these miles. This is about 600 miles away from Jerusalem. They've traveled all these miles. They go to a place and they start to share about Jesus but remember, every time God is up to something, the enemy is always going to counter. Look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, now get this, they're used to these small, tiny crowds. The synagogues typically weren't very large. And, and so on this particular Sabbath, not only do the Jews show up, but all these other people show up, and you would think they would be excited. Look at all the people who have come to worship Yahweh with us. <laughs> oh, notice what happens here. They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying insulting him. Listen to this. The word jealousy is the word zelo. Zelo in Greek. And it's a very strong term. It's one of those words where you know, we read some terms and they don't have a lot of thrust or power to them. This is a very powerful term. And zelo literally means envy that leads to resentment. So do understand, this is where jealousy comes in for us. Jealousy is envy, meaning I'm wanting what somebody else has. I want their position. I want their power. I want their authority. I want their vacation in Hawaii. I want their vehicle, whatever it may be. There's envy that then leads to resentment or bitterness because I don't have. And so that then breaks relationships. 
So the jealousy on the front end is something we can address until it turns into resentment. Well, this word, zelo, means the resentment's already there. So instantly. Now again, you would think they would celebrate. Guys, if we showed up at the early service on a Sunday morning and this place was packed and we were doing nothing special, we had not advertised, we're not doing some type of big campaign or push, no big event, and this place was packed, most of the people in here would be excited. There would be a different type of excitement. Look how packed it is. Well, this is what happened. And it's not what happened. They didn't get excited. They were jealous. Why? Because why are Paul and Barnabas drawing a crowd when we don't? We've been here for years. We've been worshiping Yahweh. Who do these people think they're just going to show up and listen to Paul and Barnabas? And so now, instead of hearing the message of the gospel, all they're hearing is the envy that's in their own head. And so now they start to insult. They start to challenge the teachings. They were, they were open. Remember, they were sincerely inviting them to come back. They were open to the teaching of the gospel until when? Their own jealousy got in the way. And so now, this is what happens in verse 46. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, Oh, listen, oh, Paul especially, he's always taking the gloves off and slapping them in the face, right? Listen to what he says. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. Oh my, um, did, did you hear what Paul just said? Apatheo, it, it's the word for reject. It means to push back. It was, it was important to us. It was necessary because Jesus was Jewish. The gospel came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Here's what Paul says. We will always start with you first. And because you've pushed away from it, which is exactly what they're doing right now, you have determined yourself that you're unworthy for eternal life. What does that mean when it comes to salvation? To reject the gospel is not God condemning you to death. It is who condemning you to death? Yourself. It's you. So, so there is this idea of man's choice that is involved in salvation. Now remember, you can't choose one way or the other until God acts upon you with the gift of faith first. But once He acts upon you with this gift of faith, now you're held accountable. Notice what Paul says. It is only natural that we came to you first, but because you have rejected it and you have decided you're not worthy of salvation. You're virtually judging yourself not to be worthy to go to heaven. Now can you imagine most of us in this room go, what? Man, I, I want to go to heaven more than anything. And Paul's like, no, when you reject the gospel, you're judging yourself as not wanting to go. You're not worthy to receive it. We know we're not worthy to receive it, but we sure are grateful that we did. They're not. They're wanting to run these guys out on a rail. For this is what the Lord has commanded to us. And in case you don't know if it's not like separated in quotations or in bold, what he's about to quote is Isaiah 49.6. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the end of the earth. L listen to this. Th this is crazy. God's telling, He's telling an Old Testament prophecy, I'm going to use my people through their rejection of the Messiah so we can start teaching the Gentiles about Messiah, and so I'm going to use my people as a light through rejection. So God will even take what we think is bad, and He will use it for good to spread the gospel. So, so we think rejection's bad. God says, I'm going to take your rejection. I'm going to use you as a light because you're going to force the gospel to go out. Other people are going to be saved just because of your rejection. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced. Now remember, the Jews, they're jealous. What happens to the Gentiles? When they heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Listen, you can't miss this. 
I just got through telling you about the choice of man once the gift's been given, but you can't miss what was just said in that statement. The word appointed is the word tasso in Greek. It means designated or caused to be. So the ones designated to be saved, the ones caused to be saved. Well, pastor, you just said that we have a choice in the process. Yes, we do. But you don't have a choice until what happens. Until God causes you to be there to hear the gospel in that moment. He designates that day that you're going to be there to hear the gospel. He acts upon you with the gift of faith, and then you must decide, do I push away as the Jews did, or I do what the Gentiles did? They celebrated and honored the Lord with their response. So please hear me. Salvation is first and foremost dependent on God putting you in a place, causing you to be in a spiritual condition to hear the gospel taught. But in that moment, once he acts upon you with the gift of faith, guess whose court the ball lies in now? Yours. And if you push back or you reject, here's what he says, you condemn yourself to hell, not God. It is you who has judged yourself. Now, there's going to be a formal judgment process where God agrees with your choice, where he says, sorry, I never knew you, and you go away to the fire that never quenches. And so, again, understand, it's a both and. God initiates salvation. He causes salvation to be set up and put into place. But man is judged because man has a role in the process of salvation. We have to do something with that gift that we're given. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. This is kind of odd. Did did y'all hear that? They incited the God-fearing women. So it sounds like the women were far more spiritual when it came to their pursuit of God And then the leading men, notice Luke doesn't say they led their families in following Yahweh. He doesn't say they're God-fearing men. They're leading men, meaning the political people, the power people. But it sounds like that the women were the spiritual leaders of the home, and you do understand that's not how God designed it to be. So that's why there's some dysfunction here. That's why there's some rejection here, because the men aren't pursuing after God. The women are, but how much clout did women have in Hebrew cultures? Zero. And so, again, what happens is that the Jews at least went after the women who were Yahweh worshipers, got them incited, then went after the politicians who were the power people, and they're about to get all stirred up against our two guys. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. Uh, That word expelled, uh, that's not just like, hey, we're going to ask you to leave. That is the word that is used of casting out demons, literally in Greek. It's ekbalo. So they threw them out as though they were demons. They cast them away. Like, we're rejecting you completely. So you want to talk about opposition? This is some opposition. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet. If you don't remember, Jesus told his apostles to do that. That is very symbolically of saying, this place has rejected, and I shake the dust off, meaning I won't come back this way again. Because, you know, dust was on all the roads, and so it was the path. Jesus says, I am the only way. I am the path. So here's what I want you to do. Shake the dust off of this path. You will not be coming back. So so I'm not sending missionaries back there again. I'm not coming back after your people again. And they went to Iconium. If you look up here, go back one more time, Jeff. Let me show them where they're headed to. So if you look up here to Iconium and you'll see some some of the leftover remains. In fact, what you see up there, that is some of the archways that led to the actual synagogue that we're going to be talking about here in just a minute. Now, Jeff, you can go back to the other one. Sorry, buddy. And so they head off to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Now, did you hear what it said? It didn't say they were filled with happiness. 
Remember, happiness is an emotional condition. Joy is a spiritual condition. So, so they've just been threatened to be stoned. They've been kicked out of town. People that said we want to hear the truth have now rejected them. And these are their people because Paul is a Jew. And yet they are filled with joy. Why? Because they're being obedient to God. They're doing exactly what God is has told them to do. So they're remaining faithful. They're persevering in that faithfulness even though they have faced great spiritual and physical threat and opposition. Chapter 14. Same strategy. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue and as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord who testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. So, so here's the deal. They, just like Jesus, were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do some miracles. That's what signs and wonders refer to. It's the word simeon, which means a miracle. So, so they're doing something different in Iconium that they didn't even do in Pisidian Antioch. They're, they're doing some miracles, which validates the power. And so you've got some people, again, so it's always mixed results. Notice this, always mixed results. Some people are believing... But the unbelievers stir up all the other unbelievers, and so it's going to cause some problems. But the people of the city were divided. Man, let me, let me tell you, it's not just divided. Divided may mean that I have a conversation with you, and we just kind of simply disagree on how we should go. But when we walk out of the room, we're still on the same side. That's not this word. This is the word schizo, where we get the term schizophrenic. Schizo means to tear apart like two completely different sides. So notice this. These two men with the gospel message showed up at Iconium, and now there are two very distinct sides. You do understand in the American culture right now, Christianity is on one side and all other world religions are on the other. And I'm not saying we're opposed to them. What I'm saying is that is the tear that is now dividing our country. Because our country believes if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, we're exclusivists, meaning you're arrogant, you're prideful because you claim there's only one way to know the creator of everything that exists. Even if you even believe in that, you Christians are the worst of them all. Why? Because you set yourselves apart saying your God is the only God. Well, here's the thing. Do we say our God's the only God or did our God say he's the only God? Our God said He's the only God. Well, if my God says that, if I truly worship Him as God, what am I going to do? I'm going to take Him at His word. And so it's not that we're exclusivists, it's that we are devoted followers. And that's what the Bible says is good, is devotion is good. So I want you to understand that what Iconium was going through, this schizo, there's very distinct sides in the argument. That's exactly what Paul and Barnabas were facing. And here we are in America facing the exact same thing all over again. Schizo. It's not just denominational difference, it's whether or not Jesus is true. They were divided, some siding with the Jews, others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe into the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. Notice how verse 7 ends in verse 7. 7 is the number of completion. Notice this. There they continued preaching the gospel, so our faithfulness to persevere must be there even in the face of opposition. But let me ask you something. In the eyes of the American culture, in the thoughts of the American culture, would Paul and Barnabas have been considered successful or failures? Failures. Why? Because in the American culture, success is 
determined by the size of your following, is it not? The most effective churches in all America are the biggest ones, right? I'll just leave it right there. I will not answer that question on radio. But, but in the American culture, what demonstrates success? It, it, it's demonstrated through popularity. It's demonstrated by following and, and everybody being in consensus. Every place Paul and Barnabas went, it was schizo. It was tearing. You know what Jesus said? You know, the gospel didn't come to unify. The gospel came to split all the way down to the marrow, between the marrow and the bone. That there is going to be a schizo. Those who accept and those who do not. And yet, even though they would have been judged failures, church, they chose to continue to persevere. It's much like a story you will recognize, the story of Abraham Lincoln. At 23, he ran for state legislature and was defeated. A year later, his business failed. At 37, he was elected to Congress. Two years later, he was defeated in his re-election bid. On three different occasions throughout his 40s, he would run for a political office only to be defeated. Finally, at the age of 51, after a lifetime of failures, Abraham Lincoln was elected the 16th president of the United States. His commitment to his country would save the Union, yet he would not live long enough to see its unity restored. Abraham Lincoln was a man familiar with failure, as a businessman and as a politician, yet he did not allow that failure to define him. Lincoln is ranked among the greatest, if not the greatest, president in our country's history. It was his perseverance through the storms of life that allowed him to leave a legacy that still shapes our nation today. Throughout the Bible, we read of men and women who faced what many would consider failures, yet had the perseverance to live by faith. The patriarch Abraham lied twice about his wife Sarah because he feared God would not protect them. Yet God enabled him by faith to leave his home and journey to an unknown land. Sarah laughed at God's message that she would carry a child, yet God enabled her by faith to conceive and deliver a son in her old age. Jacob used deception against his father and his father-in-law for his own profit, yet God enabled him by faith to raise the sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Moses allowed his anger to lead to murder, yet God enabled him by faith to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. As a nation, Israel doubted that God would safely lead them through the desert to the Promised Land, yet God enabled them by faith to conquer Jericho and the land of Canaan. All these and more are honored for their faith despite their failures. Hebrews 11 describes these men and women as heroes of the faith, people who gave their lives in obedience to God. The Bible says they were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Like Abraham Lincoln, these Old Testament heroes died without seeing the full extent to which their lives impacted history. What failures have you experienced in your own life? In what ways is God asking you to persevere and step out in faith, no matter what may come? Are you willing to follow His leading, even if you do not see the final outcome of your obedience? What kind of legacy will you leave behind? That is a question that all of us need to be prepared to answer.
what is it that person who stands over our casket or our remains, whether it's dust in an urn, what is it that person is going to say about us? What is going to stand out the most? What type of legacy are you going to leave behind? And my challenge to you is this, to leave behind a standard of faithfulness. Of faithfulness. Some of you have failed in your marriages. Some of you have failed in being the parent you're supposed to be. Some of you have failed, even this morning, in your obedience to the Lord. Some of you, your bodies are failing. So again, we're failures. We're not successes. You do understand that is designated upon all of us. Some of us have not handled grief well. Still mourning over a loss that's been three, four, five years down the road. And yet, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You can choose in this very moment to change your path. We can choose in this moment to decide we're going to pick faithfulness and persevere in our pursuit of the Lord outside of all these things that other people might say define us. We're going to redefine ourselves. So here's some things I want you to consider. Number one, expect mixed results. Uh, Listen, I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've heard Christians try to justify people's sinful reactions to circumstances. Man, it's only natural that you feel that way, and then they leave it right there. Yes, it may be only natural that you are angered or that you are bitter or that you are envious, but we don't leave it right there. Because that is spiritual failure. We're not talking about remaining in spiritual failure. We're talking about persevering in our faithfulness. So as we as Christ followers try to console somebody, hey, you know, I'm just mad at God. You know what? Sometimes I have been too. I have been angered that the God of the universe who says he loves me allows some things to happen that I don't think represent love. But here's the only problem. That is me viewing it from a very earthly and temporal and sinful mindset. Not from the eternal, gracious God mindset who is working all things out for my good. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're prepared to take a stand when somebody says, man, I can't believe you're handling it this way. If it were me, and what you do is you take time then to explain why you don't respond that way. I understand if it were you, these are the actions you would have taken. Here's the only reason I haven't taken those. It's because of the grace of God in me. It's the Spirit of God working in me. It's me choosing at this point to be submissive to the Lord and not following this path that the rest of the world thinks I should follow. And so again, expect some mixed results. Some people are going to challenge you. They're going to think you're weak. They're going to think your religion's a crutch. And yet it's still going to be up to you to persevere. Number two, remain devout anyway. Remember what we talked about? So in in spite of the mixed results, remain devout. And number two also applies to number four. If you want to skip down to number four and endure the insults that will come. I've had people tell me, man, man, dude, I don't need need the crush of faith. that, That just shows individual weakness. You're just not as strong as an individual as you should be. I don't need... Your religion. I don't need to view it through the lens of the Bible. I don't need to have a Jesus to bail me out. I can bail myself out. And that's okay. That's their journey, their choice, their world. But in the midst of those insults, that's when we have to step back up to the plate and not give ground, not give ground on where we stand and the pursuit that we're going to make. Number three, in the middle, I put it right in the middle on purpose avoid jealousy. Because remember, every time God starts to do something good, Satan's going to show up and jealousy will kick in. You've got to be very cautious. Church, notice, man, these devout followers of Yahweh, 
they were pleading with Paul and Barnabas, listen, man, this Jesus thing you're talking about, please come back next Sabbath and teach here. Man, we're hungry for this. We, we've, been, we've been yearning for this. Come back and teach us how prophecy's been fulfilled. And man, they show up at the synagogue and the entire Gentile town shows up with them. And what happens? Oh, celebration. Yahweh is spreading His fame and His name and we're supposed to be lights to the Gentiles. You do remember Paul read from an Old Testament passage in Isaiah? Who should have known the Old Testament passage? Every Jew that was at the synagogue. We're supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. The Gentiles showed up and guess what happened? They were so excited to be the light. No, they were mad. You got my seat. Y'all, that never happens in Baptist churches, right? You got, that's where I sit. You got je- jealousy. Y'all do know it happens, it happens among churches. Y'all do understand, there's like this territorialism among a lot of churches. Oh yeah, we heard you know, all this mess that's going on out there. People getting saved. Y'all know that that ain't even real. That's not real. That's just emotional. Dude, listen, I learned a long time ago not to challenge where God's working. Because He will unwork in me if I start not recognizing where He is working. I'll let the Lord work all that. If it's not real, if it's not real, guess what? It does come to light. Benny Hinn is my example. If it's not real, it comes to light. It is not my job to judge it. It is my job to say, hey man, praise God. If folks are being saved out there in the middle of nowhere underneath a tent, praise God for them. Keep adding to the kingdom. Avoid jealousy. Listen, I've got great friends at what we would consider are very successful churches, and I am not envious of any of them. I'd rather be right here with you than where they are. And so, again, we're happy for those churches. Number five, here's the deal. Before you leave here today, this is the last thing, and I put it on the list last. You've got to pick a side. You've got to pick a side. Schizo. Torn in two. Notice there's nobody in the middle. You can't be part Jesus follower and part something else. There's no halfway in. No halfway out. You're either all in or all out. And so let me ask you as we close today. First of all, what would indicate how you've persevered in your faithful obedience this week that you're all in? All of us face opposition. Man, sometimes it's just the busyness of schedule. No kidding, I am coming off a week in which all the extra stuff that I could have allowed into my schedule somehow got there all in the same five days. I don't know how it happened, but I literally, Friday night, I was like, I, I hope nobody passes away. I can't add anything else. I mean, that's where I was. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, it had been one of those weeks. And even though it was all good stuff, it was in opposition to my state of of emotional health. I was exhausted. I was worn out. I was tired. And fortunately, God was very gracious, and He let it rain all day yesterday, and I didn't do anything. It was great. Well, I'll take that back. I dusted and vacuumed. Yes, if y'all can picture that. Yeah, that was me yesterday. But it was good. It was a good exercise of nothingness. Because I'd had a very challenging week, spiritually and emotionally. And so here's the deal. That's opposition. And so how did I persevere? And so I've got to answer these questions myself. I need to look back over Friday through Monday when it got so busy. I wonder if I lost my patience with my wife or my kids this week when they had nothing to do with the busyness I allowed into my own schedule. I wonder if I showed shortness with staff. Fatigue 
in front of other people in such a way that it was not beneficial? Was I concerned about those who came for help or more focused on my own plight? Y'all do understand that's opposition. Did I prove faithful? Did I persevere in faithfulness even when the opposition was good stuff? It was all good. This wasn't bad. This wasn't attack of Satan stuff. This was just adding too much to my plate at one time. And whose fault was that? Ta-da! As my wife reminded me Friday evening. No one made me do any of it. I simply accepted a lot of yeses. And so here's the deal. Opposition is not always bad, but there's still opposition. There's things that drain us emotionally. There's things physically that exhaust us. It may be an illness you're battling, a relationship that is really gone awry. It may be financial stress. And please hear me, financial stress is real. It is a stress. It's a burden to our system. It may be change. Some people don't deal with change well. So, so maybe, maybe you're about to close out one aspect of your life and you're about to open up this brand new aspect, aspect of your life that's filled with a lot of unknowns. And so there's anxiousness. And believe it or not, here's what the Bible says about anxiousness. Don't do it. That's how short it is. Don't do it. Jesus said, do not worry. Don't sweat tomorrow. Make the most out of this moment. Make the most out of this day. So, so how have you... How have you persevered in your faithful obedience amidst the opposition you have faced this week? And what are you doing to ensure you don't repeat it this next week? See, that's the key. See, see repeating it is the difficulty. That's the problem. But there may be somebody else here who says, Justin, listen, I, I hear you. And logically to me, this makes sense. I hear what you're saying, that if I'm truly devoted to a side of something, so if I'm truly devoted... There's going to be this evidence. I've got to pick a side, and I need to stick with that side. Here's the problem. I don't know that I'm on a side. I don't know that I've ever picked a biblical side like you're talking about. I don't know that I've picked the Jesus side, nor do I know he's picked me. You're talking about it's a two-way street. There's an acceptance, but there's also being placed in a position to have acceptance or rejection. Let me ask you to think about this one thing. Is it possible God brought you here this morning to hear just that message? It is a two-way thing. God bringing you to a place so you have a chance to accept or reject. What if this is your moment? What if that's your time this morning? This is it. This is when God set aside from the point you were knitted together in your mother's womb for you to pick a side in the fight. What if this day is your day? If that is you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We've got some folks that are just waiting for you. And in fact, they've prayed up this morning getting ready. And they don't even know who you are. But here's what they trust. God does. And they believe God will bring people to this building just for that decision we're talking about, about picking a side. And if that's you this morning, but yet you want some understanding, some information, Justin, how, how can I read? Where does Scripture say how we become a part of this side of Jesus? Well, my friends that want to sit down and meet with you, they have just that information, and that's all they want to do today is share that with you. They're not going to ask you to commit to anything, sign anything, become anything. All they want to do is take information and say, hey, let's walk through this. At the end of the day, it is up to you what you pick. If that is you today and you're interested in picking a side, picking the Jesus way, then here's what I want you to do. When we stand up and pray in just a minute and everybody's bowing their heads and they're processing through these things and the challenges I just want you to walk to these double doors right here to my left. If you'll walk over there, here's what I assure you. There's some people that will be there waiting for you, and they're going to take you to a different part of the church. It's very private, not in front of a lot of eyes, a lot of people, just so they can sit down with that information and say, hey, you know what? Here's what Pastor was talking about. 
Here's this idea of picking the Jesus way. Here's what the Bible says about that. If today you're leaning towards that, let me help you in that decision. But many of you know that you've already done that. And I'm asking you what I asked you about 30 seconds ago. Of your days this past week, how faithful would God have scored? Not how the world would have scored you. How faithful, how well did you persevere in your faithfulness in spite of the difficulties that God allowed in your journey this past week? Would God have checked off on the box? Oh, man, Justin. Faithful. Tired. Emotionally drained. Faithful. Persevered. Would that be how He would define you? 